uh, Forest Town Church. Um, we're going to be continuing our look at Galatians 6. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, feel free to um, uh, look at that one. Let's pick it up at chapter 6. I'm just going to do the first five verses. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. If you've been following this uh, series on Galatians, Anne's been a cracking job of unpacking this book to us. And you'll know that Paul has been writing about we, who have put our faith in Jesus, are to, no longer to live by the law, but by the Spirit. And that's been the, the recurring theme of live by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. And last week, and did an amazing job of unpacking the fruit of the Spirit. Talking about love, about peace, about patience, about kindness. That when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells within you, and he transforms you from the inside out. In fact, Anne said it's inevitable. This transformation is inevitable. The Holy Spirit will transform us if we belong to Jesus. So cruel people become loving and kind. Anxious people develop patience and peace. Angry people become gentle and self-controlled. This is incredibly good news. Turn to your neighbour and say, this is good news. Turn to your neighbour and say, this is good news. (laughs) If you're anything like me, and you get angry sometimes, or you get impatient sometimes. You know, if you aren't always self-controlled, this is incredibly good news. Um, we are God's work in progress, and he is transforming us from the inside out. But this, so this passage, what is it generally about? Well, let me, I'll put it as a question. I think there's one key question here that this, these few verses are about. It's saying, if we are God's work in progress, if the Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out, well, why do we still need each other? If, we are God's, if, if, if the Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out, why do we still need the church? Why do we still need each other if he's doing this work in us? I want to answer that question today. Let's look at verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. What does it mean to be caught in a sin? Well, when my brother got married, um, he decided to have a bring and share lunch. Uh, after the church service. I think um, it was kind of a Sanford trait of making it very simple and easy. Some of you are horrified by the idea of a wedding, bring and share lunch. But that's what we had. And what, what three things do all Christians bring to bring and share lunch? Quiche, yep. Mm, potato salad, maybe. It wasn't one of my three, I don't think. Such, yeah, okay, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say uh, Pringles actually was top of my eyes. Okay. And then finally, what do all Christians, what Christians do, drink do all Christians bring? Schlur, there it is, yeah. <laughs> you know it. So we had lots of quiche, lots of schlur, and lots of Pringles. Now, being the brother of the groom, uh, and being a student at the time, of course, who do you think gets to take all the Pringles home? Well, I do, uh, because you're obviously impoverished, and I'm going to need something to eat. So there's me with 20-plus packs of Pringles taking away from this wedding to put under my bed. Um, now, what do you do with 20-plus packs of Pringles? Well, I am living proof of that phrase, once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> okay, because I consumed 20 packs of Pringles in less than a week. I mean, it just, just constant eating of Pringles. You know, breakfast, lunch, tea, everything was Pringles. Everything. 
Um, by the end of day one, I didn't like Pringles anymore. I didn't want to eat Pringles, but it was like somehow within me, I looked at the next pack of Pringles and went, oh, it's a barbecue pack of Pringles. Oh, I quite like those ones. I'll have the oh, sour cream. Like, this one's barbecue. Oh, this one's salt and vinegar. And I kept going and kept going and kept going. So I felt pretty ill during the week, I've got to be honest, and I'm pretty lucky I didn't get malnutrition. But I want to kind of compare those 20-plus packets of Pringles to being caught in sin. It's easy. The Pringles are easy. They're under my bed. Okay? It's effort to go to the shop, to choose, or to get dressed first if you're a student, and then to go to the shop and to choose something to eat, choose something vaguely healthy, to cook it, and to eat. That's effort. It's easy. The Pringles are right there. So the sense of often sin is a, is a shortcut. It's an easiness to it. You know, C.S. Lewis writes about how uh, sin is often an uh, illegitimate way to try and meet a legitimate need. Because we, we often have a need, you know, Pringles case hunger, and we find an illegitimate way to, to meet it, eating 20 packs of Pringles. But it's not that the need is wrong. It's that we, we, we're going about trying to meet it in a shortcut way, trying to, a way which isn't the way God designed for us. Um, and in fact, the enemy can't create anything good to satisfy us. He can't create anything that's actually really good. All he can do is take what was already good and twist it and make it so it's no, no longer going to satisfy or be good for us. So it, it has that shortcut to, us, to it. And secondly, sin promises much but delivers little. You know, there's not that much nutritional goodness in a packet of Pringles. But it promises so much. You, you, know, you think it's going to satisfy you, but actually, no, eating a whole entire pack of Pringles does not satisfy you. I can promise you that. Yet it still has that promise. And again, this is the, the, the thing about being caught in sin is it has this, this trick to it. You, it will promise more and more and more, yet deliver less and less and less. That's what the enemy wants. And thirdly, sin is addictive. Once you, once you pop, you can't stop. It's easy to get caught up in. And before you know it, you're laying on your bed, surrounded by tubes of Pringles, with an Ill, a very hurting stomach and wishing you'd listen to your mother. So let's look at this verse again. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. What happens when someone is caught in the Pringle trap? Paul writes that we should... We who are spiritual should restore them gently. And you might think, well, what does it mean to restore someone? It means to help them out of the mess they're in. The picture I get is sort of someone standing on solid ground and reaching a hand down to somebody who is in a pit they can't get out of. And notice that they're standing on solid ground to start with. You can't help someone out of it. You can't restore someone out of a pit if you're both standing in the pit. There's a wonderful Simpsons cartoon where they're caught in a hole and Homer says to his family, no, dig up, stupid, as they keep digging down and down and down. You can't dig up, okay? Some of you are going to tell me, you could do a very gentle slope, okay? You can't literally dig straight up. So in the same way, you can't help someone out of the pit if you're standing in there yourself. So to restore someone means you're on solid ground to help them. That's why Paul writes um, that watch yourself or you may be tempted as well. So we need to be sure about where we stand before we can help someone else. But then there's that sense of helping them out. And, and Paul says, of course, of course, is spiritual. Well, why spiritual? Well, think about what he's just been talking about. He's been describing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's saying, you who now live like this, do it in that way. Restore people in that way. Help them out of love, out of gentleness, 
Yeah. Um, imagine for a moment I'm a, a swimming instructor and I'm teaching you guys to swim. Okay? Imagine if your swimming coach was something like this. Swim forward! Swim! Don't flail your arm. No, stop gulping water. Swim forward. Forward, forward. No, no, don't go underwater. No, no, no. stop flail. Top flail. Oh, forget it. You drown, I don't care. <laughs> probably wouldn't get, probably wouldn't be used as a swimming coach very much. But there's a sense of a gentleness about helping someone means that we do it with patience. It means we do it with kindness. All those fruits of the Spirit. It, it shows, it's about humility. It's recognizing that we have struggles too. We all have struggles. Every one of us has things that we're battling, right? So we show humility and recognize that in one area we may, be okay, we may be okay, but in other areas we struggle. And it's about being together. It's coming alongside someone, not casting judgment down on someone, nor coming underneath them to try and lift them up. Okay? It's actually coming alongside. See, if, we, if we're casting judgment down on someone then that's not showing our humility. We're, we're saying in some way, I'm judging you and I'm better than you. But the same way, we can't come underneath someone and push them out of the hole because there's a sense of somebody also needs to take their own responsibility to stand strong. You come alongside to help someone. We need to keep confidence. Okay? In helping each other, it means not gossiping around whatever struggles someone is facing. It's keeping that a secret that you would, as you would want kept. And we need to show love and compassion, because otherwise all everyone will get from us is self-righteousness and judgment. You're part of the culture of this church. We've, we've said that we are going to be a church that lives in unity, a church that forgives one another, and a church that honours each other. So when we're restoring each other, let's do it in that way. Verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. What does it mean to carry each other's burdens? Well, that's the restoring gently bit. It's being there to help in our battles against sin and also our struggles in the rest of life. I mean, I don't think this is only applying and carrying burdens to sin. I think it's other areas as well. Ed and Sophie quite literally carried burdens for the Sanford family yesterday as they lugged heavy boxes uh, into a a big lorry. And it was a real blessing to us. So they're carrying burdens as well of, of anxiousness, of worry. When, when you come around and babysit for a family, that's, that's blessing him. It's carrying him a burden. Okay, so this, I think it's in that way as well. But Paul is specifically also talking about carrying the burdens of sin, so restoring in a way. It might be, for example, um, it might be that some, you're someone who t- somebody texts before they go out to a party and says, can you text me later and ask me how many pints I had to drink? That's a way of, of carrying someone's burden. Maybe it's helping someone who struggles with gossip to challenge gossip when they hear it rather than passing it on. Maybe someone shares with you that they've told a big fat lie and they need support and encouragement to go back and face telling the truth. Carrying each other's burdens. But did you notice something about all those three examples? They all require action from the person who needs the burden carrying. They all require vulnerability. No one knows that you need that help with a text unless you say to someone, please can you help me, I'm struggling with how much I drink. No one knows uh, that you might necessarily know, have a problem with gossip unless you say, I'm really struggling with, uh, with gossip. Can you help me? This friendship circle, it's, it's not a good environment. No one will know about that lie, perhaps, unless you say to someone, I, I'm, I've messed up. I really told a big fat lie and I need, need some help with it. So it requires a vulnerability, it requires action. Yeah, and that's, 
That's the thing. Without, that, without being honest, that's the kind of power of sin, actually. Unless, you, unless you're honest, that's one of the powers of being caught in the Pringle trap, is that it, there's a hiddenness to it. James writes, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other. Do you know the power of sin is in hiddenness? While sin is hidden, it has a power of us and our emotions and our thought life. Because we're like thinking, oh, if, if anybody knew this about me, you know, if they really knew what I was like, if they knew I wasn't really a good Christian, or if she knew or he knew. And, it, and that's the power that, things ha- that sin can have over us. All of that junk robs us of our identity as sons and daughters. And it, it paralyzes us in our effectiveness in the kingdom. So if you're stuck in that pit, let me encourage you this morning. Take the risk. Be vulnerable. If you're struggling with something, if you're caught in a Pringle trap, tell someone. First step. It's a way to freedom. You know, we tend to fear what other people are going to say. I remember at my first year at university, I really, really struggled, for example, with alcohol. Uh, many, many of uh, the guys were going out. It was kind of what felt like the way to be accepted. Um, I was blessed to have my brothers at the same university as me. So I remember talking to them for the first time about my struggles around that. And I, did, I was worried about how they would, what they would think of me. I was worried about... It's like I was so disappointed with myself. I was really worried that they were going to be disappointed with me. But they weren't. They were fantastic brothers. In fact, they're both believing uh, followers of Jesus. And they, they showed me grace and they helped me to get prayer. They prayed for me and they also helped me, helped me by holding me accountable. Helped me to ask me about how I was doing with it. It kept me on a good path. You know, and now quite like going out for a pint, but it's not a problem anymore. Jesus has done that in me where that's not the temptation I'm no longer battling with. That's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. But it's activated by sharing a struggle and getting that help from others. Wouldn't it be great to let go of all that junk to be free? Um, Because the thing is, well, if we, one of the reasons we fear what others would think is kind of a sign that we're still doing that living by the law thing. If you think about it, Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has declared you innocent, spotless even. Not just, not just slightly innocent, but spotless, perfect. So if you're still worrying about what others would think, it, it, it's, it's part of that living by the law. You're still trying to be accepted by others and by how good you are. And it's a lie. And it's not the way we're to live. We're to live by the Spirit, which means we can be free and be honest about who we are and how we're doing. It doesn't mean you have to throw your junk around to everybody, but it means you can be honest with us and say, well, this is me. Let me let you in. This is a, a window into what I'm struggling with. Can, I, can you help me? We're free to do that now. And this is the gospel. Guys, if you haven't heard this before, let me tell you, Jesus has taken away your sin. If you put your faith in him, you can be free. You don't need to carry it anymore. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. That means that God will look on you and he looks on you as perfect like his son. And it's really good news. So all this, this journey, and, you know, and that journey for me around alcohol started by telling someone, so do it today. There's freedom for you. And Paul writes that carrying each other's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. What law is he talking about there? Well, he's probably referring to what he wrote in chapter 5 where he said, love your neighbour as yourself. He's quoting Jesus there. He said, love your neighbour as yourself. Remember last week how Ant reminded us that if we claim to love God, yet hate our brother, from 1 John 4, then that's not a good sign. There's a lie there. It's not, it, there's something wrong there. 
because it's impossible. The two things come together. We love God and we love others. You can't love God and then not love others. The, 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 you can't separate the two because God's love pours into your heart and the natural expression of that love is to love others. So Jesus said, this is how people will know that we're his disciples, the way we treat each other, the way we love each other. This is how he'll be known in the church. So if you're trying to do this Christian walk alone at the moment, let me encourage you, that's not how you were designed to be. Not the natural walk. You need each other, you need other people, and they also need you. A little while ago, I I noticed uh, that I I'd started to withdraw a bit for community. I think it was, it was early when I came in, into Forest Town. I noticed I'd stepped back from this genuine being known by others uh, expression. And part of it, I think, was moving to a new area. And part of it as well was actually working at a church. Being known as the youth worker often means that you're relating to people in terms of a job rather than just being Tim Sanford. And it's very easy to, to have that, that hiddenness and that bit of the mask withdrawn. I remember God gave me a picture which really challenged that attitude. It was like I was a wounded soldier on a battlefield and I was lying on the ground wounded. And people were coming up to, to, ready to help me. My, soul, my, my, my comrades in, in, in the mission were coming up to help me. Some of you are picturing the laser tag here where the, you guys did in, running around with the guns. But uh, I'm, I'm lying on the ground and people come up to help me. But I'm just saying, no, go on without me. Go on without me. And it's like this sort of stoical sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is, that's not the way to live as a Christian. There's nothing stoical about saying, don't help me, I'm just going to lie here. It's not, it's not a good thing at all. We all need help. And there's, there's, there's two, re- two things at the heart of my attitude there. The, fir- the first thing that was wrong, it was robbing the other people of a chance to be blessed by helping me. So our master commander, Jesus, sends people into the field with med kits. And it's for their good as well as ours. He sends the people out to, uh, to help us, but also as they help us, they're blessed. They get to exercise the, the gift of forgiveness. They get to exercise the gift of grace. They get to exercise gifts and grow in their walk. So when we are vulnerable with others, it also helps others. They, they get blessed by that too. So by, by not sharing, by hiding myself away, I'm actually robbing other people of their chance to grow as well, for, of Jesus to use them. And Jesus might have picked certain people in my life that he wants to use. And by me refusing to open up to them, actually I'm robbing them of that chance. And second, while I'm wallowing, lying there on the ground, wounded, with whatever battle I'm facing, there's also a mission going on. Jesus has has saved me for a purpose. There's a mission going on, and the master commander wants me on on the front line. He wants me on the battlefield. He wants me, part of his mission, which is making disciples of all nations. That's what he wants. He wants me. He loves me just as I am, and he saved me. He he wants to heal my wounds because he loves me, absolutely. But he also has a purpose for me. And so when I'm lying there wounded and I'm not in the battle fight, I'm also not fulfilling what he's actually called me to do. So if you're, if you're like me, if that, you know, that picture resonates, if you have that sense of, oh, I'd rather just work it out all on my own, I implore you, that's not you, how you're made to live. It says carry each other's burdens. Be part of a genuine, deep community. So how, you know, how are you doing in this? You know, with the church, are you known deeply? Are you part of a small group? Is it a small group where you can share honestly, be vulnerable, real? Can you be yourself? Even, and I, I haven't been recently married, I know that even the struggles within that, within that in a marriage, are you, can you share honestly and deeply? It connects your hearts together. Is there anyone at the moment that you can be honest with about the struggles you're facing? 
And when you do struggle, do you have that wounded, or do you, do you have that wounded soldier attitude? Would you rather kind of wallow in self-pity on your own than accept help from others around you? Are you withdrawing from others and hiding your true self? Paul has encouraged us, be vulnerable, take the risk and help each other, carry each other's burdens, restore each other gently. I'm getting towards the close, but I, I want to look at um, verse 5 as well. It says, for each one of us should carry his own load. Now we've just heard about carrying each other's burdens. So why does Paul then say, on the other hand, carry your own load? I think Paul is warning us against over-responsibility. There's a sense that sometimes we can go too far trying to carry someone else's burden when actually they need to stand on their own two feet as well. There's a story of, um, uh, of two parents, and they go in to see a counsellor. And they say, you've got to help us. You've got to help us with our son. He's got a problem. And the counsellor says, well, I see. Where is your son? And they say, oh, he, he didn't want to come. He doesn't think he has a problem. Okay, tell me what you think his problems are. Well, he just lays about all day, then he goes out all night, he's into drugs, he keeps questionable company, we give him the best education we could, we, we, we give him all the money he needs so that he doesn't have to work, so he can concentrate on his studies and his social time. When he got chucked out of one school, we got him into another school. We've been there, we've bailed him out time and time and time again, and yet he still continues to live like this. You've got to help him. And the counsellor says, I think your son's right. I don't think he, I don't think he has a problem. What? You don't think he has a problem? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think you've got all his problems. Would you like me to help you help him have some problems? There's a sense of sometimes we need to allow people to face consequences, still stand by them, still love them, patiently commit to them, not doing anything that's come before about carrying each other's burdens, but not in a sense of an over-responsibility. We're only ultimately responsible for our own actions not for someone else's. So I think that's what Paul's right about when he's saying each person needs to carry their own load. Paul's vision is for a church where each person plays their part, like the parts of a body. Forest Town Church is planted in family. We want to be there to support each other, not being over-responsible, but carrying each other's load. And this is so we can be fruitful in life together. It's so we can fulfill the mission to reach the lost. And so that we can show that we are ones who love each other and this way we represent Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, I pray for any today who are particularly struggling and caught in burdens of sin of worry, of doubt, of anxiousness, of just of the battles of life. Pray that you um, give us courage to be vulnerable with others. And for those we're vulnerable with, I pray for grace. Jesus, thank you that you came to take off burdens. That your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Thank you that you've come to demolish the works of the evil one and to bring freedom. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray for your freedom in our lives. Pray for any of those where the battle's been long and hope is, is low, that you'd speak your, your truth of hope, of love and reassurance. 
that as was prayed earlier, nothing can separate us from your love and your goodness and that you are at work in us. So I pray today for anyone carrying those burdens that this will be the start of putting them down right now, today. And I pray, God, for Forest Town Church that this place will be planted in family in a way that we carry each other's burdens that glorifies you. Pray for genuine, deep friendships and relationships across our church. That we would represent you in the way we love each other, that we deal with each other with grace and with kindness. And God, that you will be glorified in your church and you would draw many to yourself. Amen.